0: Preach, everyone's done. That was me doing just sort of, you know, shooting the breeze. Right. Okay. So, to, today, what I want us to do, I'm going to sort of preach from a burden, prophetic burden, really, rather than kind of um, start a series or I anything. Mean, I'm going to start a series next week, do a six week series on the church, starting next week, and then followed by a six week series on Malachi, which takes up to Christmas. So, that's the plan. Um, today is just more just a, a burden that's been on my heart and. In Christianity, you've got to be able to look backwards for two reasons. You've got to be able to look back to be grateful. It's very important that you look back. It fuels, you know, fuels your faith for the future. And also to learn from your mistakes. You've got to be able to look back and be able to look back soberly and say, you know what, that, that, I didn't do that too well. I want to learn from that. But the Apostle Paul in Philippians 3 says, you know, he, says he says, I forget what's behind. And I press forward to what's ahead. And although we do need to look back for those two reasons, in a sense you do need also to be able to, in a radical way, forget what's behind. Because you can't do anything about it. And I've got this this little quote here which I thought was very helpful, just to start us off. John Piper, he says this, he says, The only life I have left to live is future life. The past is not in my hands to offer or alter. It is gone. Not even God will change the past. All the expectations of God are future expectations. All the possibilities of faith and love are future possibilities. And all the power that touches me with help to live in love is future power. As precious as the bygone blessings of God may be, if he leaves me only with the memory of those and not with the promise of more, I will be undone. My hope for future goodness and future glory is future grace. And I would say without a shadow of a doubt, the posture of a Christian should not be that, looking over your shoulder, but it should be fixed straight (laughs) ahead, not to the left or to the right. Because the future is the only thing that we can really do anything about. And the burden I want to preach to you about today is about growing up and becoming mature. Um, I want to preach to us as a church about growing up and becoming mature. We really need to mature over the next year as a church. We're taking, you know, the venue is a step up. We need to mature to do that well. Um, But also as individuals, we need to mature. Obviously, the two things are inseparable. If we don't don't mature as individuals, we're not going to mature corporately. And um, if we're going to mature corporately, what that's really going to mean when you get behind it is that we've matured as individuals. So really, uh, today, today is a meditation on God's passion to mature us and then an exhortation to work with him and not resist that. Um, so that's really where we're going today. Um, we must grow. We must grow as a church. Now, I'm not talking primarily about numbers. I'm going to refer to numbers, just, just so you're aware of where we're at. But I'm not actually talking about that today. I'm talking about growing into maturity. That We must. Numbers, where have we come from? Well, in three years, we've grown tenfold. We praise God for that. So there were, there, when we, adults-wise, we, there were 12, 12 adults when we started, but probably about 120 adults now. So we give God all the glory. We don't understand how on earth it's happened <laughs> um, other than the, the mercy and the favour of God. Um, you know, one sows and another waters, but God gives the increase. So he gets all the glory for that and I am probably more aware than any of you that it's absolutely him that's done it. When I was sat in the garden of our first home in North London and all I really had was a promise, <laughs> and I thought, I don't know how on earth this is going to happen other than the fact that God has said he's going to do it and and he is doing it so we give him all the glory for that Um, I'll say this and I might be wrong so I'm not saying this is the word of the Lord but I I don't think we're going to probably have much of a problem getting to about 300 I think I think that I think providing anything stupid that that will probably just by God's grace happen and the reason for that is prophetic stuff that's come just before we started Julian Adams prophesied about Gideon's army and uh, Gideon's army being an unlikely army and that God's going to pull together lots of unlikely people don't take it personally but <laughs> <laughs> lots of unlikely people and to be able to really uh, overcome the odds and to destroy enemy strongholds and fortresses you know not through cleverness not through necessarily even strategic wisdom but just through something of the fact that God had drawn this unlikely people together and they believed God um, and then my sister about a year ago, she bought me the DVD 300 for, for Christmas. She said, you've got to watch that. It's significant for you. And I put it on the shelf I thought, thanks. And yes. Not that I didn't... I, I don't know if... I, I'd heard varying reports. And I just thought, you know what? Life's too short. I, I don't want to waste three hours on something. that might not be any good. So I put it on the shelf. And, uh, <laughs> and then I saw her about nine or ten, ten months later and she said, have you watched it yet? And I said, to my shame, you know, I, said, I haven't I haven't watched it. She said, I feel God's been speaking to me about it and giving me a very specific prophecy for you. And... Um, so I said, well, go for it. So she said, I just feel that God's, God says that um, um, he's he's drawn, you t- he's drawn you together. And Now, in the, in the, uh, sorry, let me just give you the story of the film 300. Basically, in a nutshell, you've got um, the Persian king Xerxes, who's basically sort of conquering the world, and he gets close to Greece and the Spartans, and he sends an invoice saying, oh, basically, just surrender, because we're going to just trample over you anyway. And um, they throw him down a bottomless pit, and they say, we're not going to surrender to anyone. And then they decide to take the fight to them. And so 300 guys... Um, with pecs similar to mine, uh, wander down to. Um, actually, when you watch the film, you realise there was a bit of kind of tongue in cheek there. But they 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 basically go to they go to they they go to fight. They take the fight to them, and um, it is it is an incredible film. It's very very gory with some very unsavoury moments in it. But it's an incredible film where these guys, they basically take the fight to these literally hundreds of thousands of Persians and um, and they just destroy, I mean, they end up sort of piling walls full of their bodies. Is you know, in a spiritual sense, is glorious, what it represents. Um, but it's very gory. But they really just take it to them and, they, and, and, and there's something about the way they are as a unit and the way that they move together and work together. And it's, it's, it's highly... You, unified, it's, they, they've got this mentality, which is that, that one, of the, one of the soldiers is with someone else from another army, who's kind of come to join them, but they run when it gets too fierce, and they're both looking, and they see all the hordes coming in, and this guy from the other army, he goes, this is a nightmare, but the other guy's just got this huge smile on his face, and he looks at him and says, finally a glorious death, mm-hmm. and he's excited about it, he's, he's oh, I've always wanted a glorious death, you know. and they've got this mentality that's completely different. And um, they basically take it to them. Now, they do end up getting totally slaughtered in the end, but hopefully, you know, that's not kind of the prophetic part. But <laughs> my sister said this. She said, "She said, you know what? God is going to draw you together, and you are going to be mighty in the Spirit and mighty in faith. And, and you, will, you, you, will, you will break through on stuff that even the church and the nation has not broken through on. The church and the nation will look to you to help to bring them into it, um, which I just found... Thrilling. I just feel in the way we pray and what God's doing in us, I just felt faith, yes, this is something God has got for us. I then went back and read the Gideon story again because it reminded me, and you know what, his army was exactly 300. Now, my sister knew nothing about Julian's prophecy, Julian knew nothing about the film 300, but for me it was just a confirmation, this is God, this is God speaking. Now, so when I say I think we get to 300 easily, you might think, hold on, I'm I'm sure that to come into prophetic stuff it takes a bit more of a fight than that. But I don't think the battle lines are, are the actual numbers. I don't think that's the heart of the prophecy. I think the heart of the prophecy is this, is that an unlikely army will be able to take on and overcome those who look far more superior than them and who look much more impressive. And I think that's the heart of the prophecy. And so for me, the big deal isn't getting to 300, which would be a good number and you could really really pack a punch in terms of resources. The big deal is, behind that figure, what is it? Yeah? What are those people? What's in their heart? What is their approach and attitude to life? Are they... Do they get excited about a glorious death? Or are they basically in the self-preservation crew? Have they got that death or glory about them? Are they willing to pray till it hurts? Are they, willing, are they going for broke? Are they together, working, moving together? And the unity of this army in this film was amazing. They would constantly be fighting, but the way they fought, they would constantly be fighting, but covering one another's side. And it's just the way they moved was just amazing. What is in them? For me, that's where the battle, that's, that's the fight. That 300 has to represent something. You've got to get beyond it, because if, if, let's imagine it's God's will that we get to 300 and that's it. We don't get any bigger as a church, but we constantly are producing more people to go out and plant go out and plant. That may be God's will for us. I don't know. But you see, if, let's just imagine for a moment, it's God's will for us to get to 300 and that's it numerically, then what, that, what must that represent? It must represent this. Many, many leaders coming through that we can, that, so that we can keep the work locally strong, so that we can send out into London, the UK and the nations to plant many more churches. It must represent many new converts. So that what is in the DNA of what we reproduce is, is salvation success. It must, it must represent people who know something of the Spirit's breakout in deliverance and healing and in the supernatural. Because that is what we read about in the book of Acts. You do not stroll into such an inheritance. You fight your way into it, tooth and nail. The Bible says it's through faith and patience that we inherit the promises of God. Romans, uh, Hebrews 6, verse 12. So it's going to take a group of people that are together, that love one another sacrificially, that, are, that, that they're about Jesus... They're not about themselves anymore. They're about Jesus. And for each of us, it's, that is not something that you nail once and for all. That is a daily thing you fight for, isn't it? We all know that. That is a daily battle. Jesus said you deny yourself daily and pick up your cross. But the more we do it, the easier it becomes. It becomes more just part of our autopilot is to live his Christ, to die his gain. And we move forward and we take some ground. And we leave something of a legacy behind us. And we're able even to be a blessing to the wider church of Jesus in this nation, which needs all the help it can get. Amen? So maturity is massive. So I want to look at, meditate on biblical, biblically, how, what does the Bible teach about maturity, and, um, and, you know, exhort you out of that. My own journey is this. My own journey is that I come, I won't say I come from a long line, because we don't know who my dad's dad is. But I will say this, listen men are notorious for being Peter Pants. All the list of men I know struggle really hard to grow up. We act like kids for years. When Dave Stroud, Dave Stroud came to visit the church and preached to us about a year... No, November, wasn't it? Last year, I said to him, "I, want, I went, any comments you've got, I want to hear. He had loads of positive comments, and then he said this. He said, you know what, Steph? He said, I noticed the lack of senior men in the church. He said, is there something about you that stops senior men from gathering to you? Thanks. <laughs> It was like an arrow to my heart. And it, as you can imagine, it really caused months of soul-searching and asking questions and stuff like this. Now, I knew it was God, which is fine, but then the next step is how can, I, how, how can I deal with the issue? And I don't think it's an overnight thing, but I know for me it's just God highlighting, come on Steph, you've got to grow up, you've got to shake off the futile ways you've inherited from your forefathers. Because it, it's going to hold things back. It's going to hold the church back. It's going to hold your family back. It's going to hold you back from God's purposes. You've got to grow up. And there's many subtle elements to it that I won't bore you with, but I'm giving myself to it. Um, so I'm not preaching to you from higher ground today, saying, what's the matter with you lot? I'm saying, guys, it is, it's also actually a mark of our culture, that people just grow up a lot later. And we, it's going it's to hinder the advance of the kingdom if we buy into that. We've got to shake it off, and we've got to grow up and step up. So, um, just my own, you know, just so you know from the start, that's where I'm coming from on that. God is passionate about growth. He is passionate that you come to maturity. He does not want you to level off or plateau. He doesn't want you to remain a forever child. That is not does not glorify Him. It's embarrassing. It's it's just it's fruitless. You see, in the natural, God creates babies, but everything is in them to grow up. You see it in God's grace in society. We, we nurture people to grow up. If You know, when most of you first knew Melody, she was wearing nappies and couldn't talk. If that was still the case, you would be concerned, and rightly so. Because part of what we've done is to train her to use a toilet and to talk. You know, it's because it's, it's God's common grace, is that we, we're looking to nurture people to grow up. But it's more than a physical thing. God wants us to grow spiritually. It's part of our spiritual DNA. In Ephesians 4... It talks about the evangelists, the apostles, the prophets, the pastors, the teachers. And it says they've been given to the church by Jesus. But you say, well, why? What's the point? Here's why. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. For building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We are called to grow into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What a statement the body is supposed to fit the head. It's supposed to be in proportion, is what is being said there. Mature manhood. The Apostle Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18, and we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. We're all being transformed as we gaze on Him, as we seek Him, as we look forward and determined to move forward following Jesus. We're changing to his image. He is perfectly mature. This is what God's doing. It's a corporate thing as well. It's not just, oh, me and my walk with the Lord. This is, the, this is for me, one of the worst diseases of English Christianity is individualism. We read the Bible like it was written to us as individuals. It's written to churches. It's corporate. It is a corporate thing. Listen, Ephesians 2. In whom the whole structure, I'm talking about the Lord, in whom the whole whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. That's the church. In whom you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit, corporately. The way you grow individually is that you learn to lay your life down for one another. You can't mature individually if if you're not thinking corporately you'll be stunted. If you're not learning to forgive one another, bear with one another and all the, things that ch- all the challenges that church throws up when a bunch of people that are totally different are thrown together is so, so important. So here's what I want to say. Number one, the Father is committed to your maturity. His intent is that you mature. Number two, He is faithful so He won't give up on you. Amen? Mm-hmm. He will not give up on you. He is faithful. Number three, the Father is able. He has the power to mature you. Say after me, the Father has the power to mature me. No, it's so important you believe that because I think we can think more. Well, they will mature and they will mature, but he doesn't understand my problems. Please, he's omnipotent. If you yield to him and trust him, he can deal with it. He can deal with it. So the question I want to ask today and the answer is this: Is our maturity in, is our yeah is our maturity inevitable? God's intent on it. He's faithful and he's powerful. So is it going to happen? I'm going to answer that: Yes, yes, no. Just to keep it clear. Number one positionally, it's inevitable. What am I talking about? Here's what I'm talking about. The Bible says, I'll read it. <laughs> Hebrews ten fourteen. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. The Bible uses three English words to describe one Greek word the Greek word for maturity English word used is perfection or perfect completion or complete mature or maturity it's the same word in the Greek okay he has perfected by a single offering on the cross he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified you're perfect in God's sight for all time hallelujah Amen. you might say on what grounds by a single offering I mean nothing to do with me that's right you're trusting in the single offering of Christ he has perfected you you are, you are mature in the sight of God You can't get any more mature in one sense, in the sense that you're utterly accepted. He looks on you; you're complete in Christ. Beautiful, isn't it? Positionally, it is absolutely inevitable. Listen to this: Colossians two, verse nine and ten. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you've been filled or completed in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. You're complete in Christ. You could not be more loved, you could not be more accepted, you could not be in a better position before God. You're in, you're in Christ and he's in the bosom of the Father. You're tucked in, as in as you could be. When, when the Father looks at you because you're covered in Christ's righteousness, who is mature, perfect and complete, he sees you like that. Okay? So positionally, it's done. You're sanctified, you're perfected, you're mature. Hallelujah. Ultimately, it's inevitable. Romans Romans 8.30 Those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. It's done. He's called you. He's justified you. He will glorify you. All right? If you put your trust in Jesus, you've become a son of God. You're a son of God. When Christ returns, you will be caught up with him. You will receive your brand new body. You will be glorified (coughs) forever. It is done ultimately. Hallelujah? All right. But in the here and now experience of life, your maturity is not inevitable. You can stunt your growth. Inevitable, positionally. Inevitable, ultimately. In the here and now experience of day-to-day life and growing to be more like Christ in your disposition, your character, in who you are as a person, it's not inevitable. I'll show you from the scripture. Hebrews 5, verse 12 to 14. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he's a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. There you go. He's writing to the church and he's saying, you know what? You should be there and you're here. You've had enough input and enough time. You should be teaching others. We have to go back over the basics again. They've, they've become stunted in some way. They, there's been something about Well, look at what in a, in a moment. There's something about them that's kind of stunted their growth. It's slower than it should have been. It, the writer looks on and says, why are you there? This is weird. It's strange. It's like something's not working. You're not eating. And Ananias and Sapphira. That couple in the book of Acts, they were believers, they were part of the company. But they got drawn in by spiritual competition. Other people were selling their land and, and then giving the money to the apostles. And they thought, oh, that looks... Oh, wow, we want to follow that. But we'll keep a little bit of silence. We'll just pretend, you know, that... it was not I don't think it was so much greed. I think it was more just they bought into this thing of competition. And we want to look like the godly ones too. Let's sell our land. But in their heart, that, it, was, it was all wrong. And, and Peter says, Satan entered your heart. They let, they, they let the enemy get in and, and as a result they were judged and, and, and you know they were prematurely killed. Now I believe they're in glory. I believe they, they were Christians but prematurely judged. And there's others. There's a guy in 1 Corinthians 5 who's sleeping with his dad's wife. And Paul says this guy's, he's refusing to repent. There's, there's a judgment coming on him. He's not maturing. He's, just, he's got sidetracked into perverted lust. It's going wrong. I want to just teach you, just very briefly, that there is a multifaceted process over which the Lord oversees, designed to bring you to maturity in the here and now. Your response to this process determines your growth. How you respond to his process to mature in you will determine how you grow. In a word, how do you sum it up in a word? It's grace. He matures you by his grace. The grace that gets you started is the grace that carries you through. The undeserved favour that energises the Father's choice of you from the beginning of time, His forgiveness of you, His redemption of you, His adoption of you, His filling of you with the Spirit, that undeserved favour is the same undeserved favour behind this process. But what does the process actually involve? Number one, instruction. Part of you maturing is that you receive instruction. Ephesians 4, we looked at it earlier. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, to equip the saints to the work of ministry so that you might grow up into Christ's stature. You will be instructed at times like this, please don't try to just get through the sermon, fill up your notebook or anything like that. Think to yourself, how am I going to apply, absorb this? How am I going to, through this, encounter God? That is God's intention. Not just that you've heard another sermon or filled up your notebook, but that there's maturity that comes, that you take it on board. That you think, wow, actually what he's saying there is challenging the way I approach that. I need to go back and study the scriptures. I need to take this seriously. Instruction is the, I would say, the norm, most normal way that the Lord will mature you. Very, very important. Secondly, fellowship. Fellowship, being together. Isolated Christians it's like a, it's an oxymoron. Have I used that word right? <laughs> Have I used it right? Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. It's like a Christian is a living stone designed to be built together with others into a temple of God. But well, this one over here with his great ministry, or this one over there, or oh, I don't like the church, or oh, now but I like Jesus. It's crazy. Fellowship. Listen. Listen to this. Tell me how many things you can do if you're not meaningfully involved in a church. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbour. For we are members of one another. I am a member of you, you are a member of me. It's not just, you're a member of Jesus and so am I. No, I'm a member of you. I belong to you. You belong to me. We belong to one another. This isn't just, well, we'll go along on a Sunday, we'll sing the songs, we'll have a good time, and you know, we'll smile and drink coffee together. No, I belong to you. You belong to me. We are brothers and sisters. We have to speak the truth into one another's lives. In love. But we have to be able to say, do you know what? I want to talk to you about this. I'm concerned. Is everything okay? That, that, we are members of one another. And if if someone does that with you, and they do it gracefully and in a good way, and you you, you fly off the handle or spark at it, something's wrong. They care for you. We are members of one another. You can't if you wrap yourself in barbed wire, which some people do, figuratively speaking. So no one can. No one can. It's like, oh no, we mustn't do that. We're members of one another. It's need to mature one another. So I fellowship. Be angry and do not sin. Christians can get you angry, can't they? We can wind each other up. Okay, <coughs> hey, well, what do you do if you get wound up by someone else in the church? Well, number one, be angry. Don't let me to go, oh, no, I mustn't do it. No, I'm English Christians are the worst of that. Oh, no, no, no. I mean, why am I angry? Ah, the way they said that was unhelpful. Right, so what do I need to do? I'm not going to sin. In your anger, do not sin, I'm not going to start gossiping. Yeah, I'm not going to start building up resentment, I'm only going to speak the truth to them in love. Yeah? It's maturity. Avoiding confrontation is the most easy way to immaturity. you Need to learn how to do it well. Don't let the sun go down on your anger, give no opportunity to the devil. If you're never around annoying Christians, you're never going to be able to apply this stuff. <laughs> you're going to be you're going to be cheated. You're disqualifying yourself from scriptures. I love this. Let the Ten Commandments: I do not steal. Listen to this. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him work, doing honest work with his hands. Great. Why? So that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Primarily, why do you work? Well, you're created for it for the glory of God, and so you can share with those who need. That's, That's biblically work ethic not just do not steal no, it's much beyond that now it's well, wow, I've put a bit of overtime in because I know so and so is in a tight spot that I can help them out if you're not if you're not connected with the body how can you do you can't do that you don't know but you need to know in, in each other's lives we're involved we can help we can meet each other's needs let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths only such as is good for building up you see it's assuming there that when you talk you're not talking to yourself it's assuming that you're around other people for the building up, as fits the occasions. that it might give grace to those who are here. Make sure your speech gives grace. The way you speak is bestowing favour and honour on one another. If you're all doing that, this is going to be mighty. This is, this is exciting. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamour, slander, be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. You can apply none of that if you refuse to get meaningfully involved in the church. You can apply all of that if you throw yourself into church life. All of it. It's all yours. It's all yours to live out. So, instruction, fellowship. Thirdly, discipline. The Father will mature you through discipline. Hebrews 12, verse 5 to 6. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Two bad responses to discipline, one good. Firstly, don't regard it lightly. right? So you sin or whatever, and, and God, God disciplines you one way or another. Discipline comes in because you've been sinning. You can regard it lightly. You can go, bah. Don't do that. Or you can do the other thing, which is you can be weary. Oh, uh, and You just get down on yourself, into a pit of condemnation. I've oh, blown it. You don't love me anymore. I knew I, knew I wasn't saved. Yeah. All of that. Yeah? That's No, don't. What do you do? How do you do it? Here's how you do it. Don't do that, don't do that. Receive it. Take it on the chin and say, yeah, I, I blew it. I sinned and now God's disciplining me. I receive this discipline. Thank you for it, Lord. It's a sign of your love. You're doing this because I really am one of your sons. If I was illegitimate, you wouldn't be doing this. Yeah? Discipline is the one of the ways you matri- Some of you may be under discipline at the moment. Some of you, you've been fiddling around with sin maybe or whatever and you're, you're under the hand of the Lord. He is chastening you. You think, why is he doing it? Because he loves you sometimes my kids will go why do you smack me or why do you tell me if I say because I love you I love you I said if I didn't you'd turn into a hooligan you'd end up in prison it'd be crazy don't tell that to them i will tell them that So you'd be a crazy person <laughs> i said, I don't want that I want what's best for you so I'm going to discipline you I'm Pleading with each other in the bedroom talking about why I'm saying this is why it's crazy it's crazy crazy list than household um Fourthly, and penultimately, pressure. God matures you through pressure. You can't just, you know, you just, oh, I just want to pray and prophesy and do the miracles. Read Acts. It's all in the context of pressure. Just the nagging things of life, the jobs that need to be done, or, or if it's opposition, or whether it's just internal, maybe you've got a kind of temperament, you're complex, or you're melancholic. You've got to just walk through it. You can't just say, well, I'll wait till that's sorted, then we'll get on and do this stuff. No, it won't be. That's that's the new heavens and the new earth. That's when sin and dwelling sin and outside sin has been done away with. That's when Satan's in the lake of fire. We're not in that season now. It's going to be a season and a life of pressure. Learn to walk in it. If you constantly back away from pressure, you are just stopping your growth. I've seen so many times people come to me and say, you know, I've been serving this area in the church, but things are just crowding in. I've just got to take some time out. One time out of a hundred, that's a good move. And I say that from experience. 99 times out of a hundred, what it is, is this. Either time's not being managed properly, or people are panicking, or whatever. They drop the thing that they're serving in, and then suddenly it's just like, it's just they get into this weird kind of vacuum. Push through. Face the pressure. Don't let your expectations be one of non-pressure. Otherwise that will really freak you out when pressure comes. Listen to this. Acts 14.22 Paul was strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying this, that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. What does tribulation mean? Pressure. Same word. That's what it means. Through many, you enter the kingdom. You want the kingdom? Yeah, we want the power, don't we? Yeah, we want a breakthrough in London, yeah? You want that? Pressure. Pressure, time pressure, financial pressure, the worries of this world—all the things—they come in and they try and choke. You just got to walk through it. You, Kev's—I mean, I couldn't beat what he did yesterday. Just w- what he was talking through. You, you keep that place of simple trust, eyes on the Lord. I'm about His business. Absolutely. Listen to this in James one. I came across this recently. I thought this is staggering. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Okay. You think, is he being serious? Yeah. He doesn't just say, take it on the chin, count it all joy. Why? Well, you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Some of you, 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 you struggle to be steadfast. You need some more tests. You need some more trials. That will really do it for you. And let steadfastness have its full effect. Why? That you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Does that sound nice? Oh, perfect. Like, yeah. Right, Trials. They'll do it for you. Don't avoid them. It's a false economy. It is a false economy. And finally, suffering. So instruction, fellowship, discipline, pressure and suffering. It says of Jesus, It was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Jesus had to go through a maturing process. He was always sinless, but he had to mature so that he was ready to do the job. How did that happen with Jesus? Suffering. Read the Gospels. They are the most confrontational literature you will ever read. It is one argument after another, one accusation, intimidation, plot, scandal after another. One of the most hated individuals to have ever walked the planet. You're following him. Although he was a son, this is Jesus. He learned obedience through what he suffered. He learned obedience. In Jesus, yeah, he had to learn how to obey the Father. How? Through what he suffered. And being made perfect, that means complete, mature, not sinless. He always was, but he he was rounded out. He was made mature, ready, complete. He became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Do you think God's going to let you off that if he didn't let his son off of it? You'll suffer. There will be hard times. In getting to this place, what God has got for us, his promise, there will be hard times. There will be tough seasons. There will be challenges. Just get it straight now, then you don't get freaked out when it comes. Because you'll find people get freaked out and they disappear. You want to know? You just got too hard. Oh, come on. Don't do that. When it gets hard, push into the body, get the support you need and press on. Don't disappear. It's a sobering word, really, isn't it? I'm bringing I know that. I know that it is. I know it's not like, oh, I thought it was going to be like, hooray, get the trumpets out. But I think, look, the last thing I want is hype. That's the last thing you want. I want to work out how we can actually come into what God's promised. I don't want to be saying the same things in five years' time and not actually doing it. Yeah? So we've got to mature. All of those things are God's grace to you. I'm going to end by a list of symptoms of immaturity. (laughs) Number one, avoiding hard things. God has totally pinned me to the wall on this in the last months. I avoid hard things. I should avoid it. It can be really little things. Really little things. You just see something, you think that needs salt and you think, oh, yeah. Somebody's cleaning. Little stuff. It's not, don't, little stuff. Oh, yeah. I thought of that. Oh, I'll think of something else. Do not avoid hard things. You will be a spiritual slob if you do. You'll be immature. You'll be good for nothing in terms of service in the kingdom. If you ever get married, you'll be a really, really annoying spouse. You'll be a terrible example to your children if you have children. Don't do it. Do hard things. Shirking responsibility. Oh, that sounds a bit like, oh, that sounds a bit like if it goes wrong, I might get the blame. I won't do that. Well, that sounds a bit like it might actually tax me. I won't do that. No. No, that is childish. Maybe you've been brought up in a way where your parents have never taught you about responsibility and that's just what you are. You need help changing. I will help you. We will help you. But you've got to change. You cannot live like that. It does not glorify Christ. Blame shifting. When things go wrong, you just, you start to be tricky. You don't say, you know what? It went wrong because I was lazy. It went wrong because I was negligent. It went wrong because, no. No. You say it. You say what it is. Apologise. Take it. Carry the can. Procrastination procrastination is a terrible mark of immaturity. You're always putting things off. It's bad. It's bad. Because things will just pile up and pile up and pile up. I do this with bills. Not that I can't pay them, I just don't open them. I just don't don't open them. Why? Because they're boring. I like opening interesting letters. They're boring. And you never know, there might be a horrible shock in there, you just don't know, do you? So they just pile up and I think, oh mate, and then before you know it, you've got like, June's electricity bill and July, as you're thinking this is tough. Come on, man. It's childish. Get it, you open it, you deal with it. Gotta get your life in order. It's, this is just like a self help thing. What is this? No, this is God's way of maturing you. All these things are biblical principles. You find it all in Jesus' life. He, he we didn't have to, have to blame shift D, he never done anything wrong, but <laughs> he took his responsibility. I'm gonna to go to the cross. You live. You try living with that over you, over you, you know, over you for thirty years. Didn't avoid anything hard, did he? Didn't avoid anything hard. And they said to him, "Said we know that you don't care for anyone's expression. You just bring God's word, word in truth." He was just, you know, I'm not here to please people. Didn't procrastinate. Did it all in the Father's perfect timing you know, preparation years, right now, baptised, ministry starts, okay, what, we get to the wilderness, right, past in 40 days, okay, let's do it, alright, Satan comes, right, deal with it, right now, Dan, okay, miracles, yeah, opposition, right, keep going, not putting things off in the Father's time, in the Father's time, walking it. Passivity, just passivity, you just go quiet, you just put your head down, you just hope it's going to pass, no, head up, walk through it. Victim mentality, no, oh, woe is me, woe is all of us, I'm not harsh. Please, that's not my heart. But, you know, we're all the same and we all live in the same world. And we all really need Jesus and we really need each other. Amen? (laughs) Alright? And sometimes it's hard. And sometimes when it's hard, it's hard because we've been really stupid and now we're reaping what we've sown. Other times things just come in. Either way, we need help and support and love and truth, don't we? Dishonesty. A.W. Tozer says we should have the candour of a child. You just say it. What, say it how it is. Gently, gracefully. but you just say the thing. Sometimes you can beat around the bush so much you've forgotten what even bush you're supposed to be walking through. Do you know what I mean? You've just gone all over the place. It's not, oh. No, just say it. And then finally, if you're a lone ranger, it's a sign of immaturity. You're afraid to commit. You're you just, you're out. You're in, but you're out. Do you know what I mean? You're in phys- yeah, in body. Maybe you're not, but you, maybe you are. You, but you're, yeah, you're, 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 own, you're your own little resource centre. You own a little island. I don't need anyone else, you know, and hopefully they won't need me. And it. No. That is not being a member of one another. That is actually succumbing to fears of <laughs> close relationships or, or what if this, what if that, and crazy complex speculations, and you never do anything. No, you just be... Follow the word. Okay. God's intent is that you mature. God is faithful, so he won't give up on you. And God is powerful, which means he's able to overcome every challenge you have and come into maturity. I want to end by saying this. What our world needs to see is a mature church. Because that will look like Jesus. So this isn't some kind of thing, oh, then it will be really nice. No, then we will begin to see some increasingly effectiveness in the world that we live in. This what the world needs to see. Amen? Amen. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you don't put any punches with us, that you don't trick us, that you don't shortchange us. Thank you that all your promises are true. And you do want to fulfill them in us, Lord, but it's not a breeze getting there. I thank you for that, Lord. It, It helps us. We know, therefore, that you're being straight with us. We know, Lord, therefore, that as we follow you, you will do what you said. I thank you that you will never test us beyond what we can bear. I thank you that your grace is sufficient for us. I thank you that in our weakness your power is perfected. I thank you this is not about any of us trying to be superheroes, this is about abiding in you and learning to love one another. I thank you, Lord, that you will give us your spirit so that we are able to do this. I thank you, God, you are not asking for something that we cannot do, Lord, but you are so waiting to empower us as we take this on the chin. So, Lord, I pray, give us grace and help us to really walk this one well. And I pray, Lord, that we would come into all of your promises for us. I pray, Lord God, that we would, I pray, God, we would bash down things that need bashing down, Lord, and that haven't been bashed down by the church in a long time. I pray, Lord God, that we will be able to take ground. All these prophecies we're hearing, Lord, we say we love them, Lord, but our intent is to work it through and come into it. It's not enough to have a trophy on a shelf. Lord, we say we want it. We want the, the fulfilment of every promise you are speaking over us. So, God, I pray just keep feeding us, keep, keep encouraging us, and keep helping us as we come into all that you have. In Jesus' name and for his glory in London and in Gdansk. Amen. Amen. Amen.